Hey everybody, welcome back to the Two Movie Guys podcast. It's uh, myself, Sean McBride, and Joe Fryer. Joe is with us here. We're going to talk about a couple of big movies. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing great, Sean. We got uh, some good movies. Uh, I use the term good loosely, but uh, we got Mean Girls this weekend, the musical, and we got the new Jason Statham film to talk about, and a really, really good film, American Fiction, that I really want to get into as well. Very cool. Yeah, those are the main ones we'll talk about. We will also notice that the Book of Clarence is going to open this week. We have uh, Lyft on Netflix. There is also, um, we have Pixar's re-releasing the animated film Soul into theaters, and we have... Um, Self-Reliance and Destroy All Neighbors, also on home streaming. So there's a lot of to choose, but but we've decided to focus on the ones that we think are the are the biggest and the best. And so let's kick things off with the big picture. And this week's big picture, like Joe mentioned, uh, if you buy the pre-release on Thursday night, both Mean Girls and uh, The Beekeeper did about $3 million. So people are excited to see these movies. Uh, let's begin with The Beekeeper. This is private property. Do you know what they do here? Scamming the weakest in our society. Buddy, I'm counting to three. One, two, three. There, I did it for you. Uh, Jason Statham plays a beekeeper. Both literally, he's out there, you know, raising bees and collecting honey. But apparently, we didn't know this, but there's this top secret beekeeping, uh, super secret soldier type thing where basically when something goes wrong and you need some man to put it right, He's the guy that can show up and beat up the bad guys. And it's Jason Statham. So basically it's him, you know, kicking butt and taking names. Yeah, it's the story that begins when the, these bad guys, these cyber hackers, they basically, he's he's renting um, the barn from this kindly old woman played by Felicia Richard. Hackers target her. They steal all her money. And you know, I'm, this is kind of a critique of it. Instead of talking to him, or instead of talking to her daughter, who was an FBI agent, she goes, oh my, what have I done? I've lost all my money. And then she kills herself. And mm. I, I thought that that was, um, perhaps there should have been a scene or two in between there. But after right. that, he's just going to get revenge for these people that uh, pushed his friend, the only woman that's ever cared for him. He's going to get revenge for them, no matter how far it takes them and who he has to take down. So what do you think, Joe? Do you like the beekeeper? Okay, first of all, I got to tell you that the beekeeper to me was totally ridiculous. However, the storyline is totally ridiculous. Right. However, it was one of the most entertaining and certainly one of the most satisfying Jason Statham films that I've ever seen. And, you know, David Ayer is the director. You know, he wrote Training Day, directed End of Watch, directed Fury. He knows action. And uh, what I love about this film is that it doesn't take itself seriously. Therein lies its beauty. I was laughing so hard during this film. And at first I thought, should I be laughing right now? But then I said, yeah, I guess I should be laughing right now. But I noticed I was the only one laughing at uh, at, at these scenes. And, and, you know, as you said, Jason Statham plays a mild-mannered beekeeper, uh, Adam Clay, who is course more than just a beekeeper he's a retired mercenary and uh, it's like who do you call when there's no one left to call you can't even call the imf that's when you call the beekeepers when tom cruise doesn't want to take it that's when jason statham comes in you know it's interesting i was thinking about this and i kind of think what jason statham said you know 
Keanu Reeves doing those John Wick movies. I want a franchise like that. And there's some similarities. I mean, he's retired, but he gets pushed into this when they hurt, casually, callously hurt this woman. And then he's not really talking. He's just showing up and kicking butt. And um, I kind of say, you know, I thought, oh, are they going to kill him or are they going to leave this open? Of course, they're leaving it open. We could have Beekeeper 2 still stinging <laughs> or something like that. So, Well, if it's like this one, I hope we do, because this film makes every other Jason Statham film seem like a heavy drama because it's like Jason Statham's greatest hits. I mean, David Ayer goes nuts with Jason Statham here. Um, and, and really this, you know, like if you've seen Jason Statham in other action roles, there's always a chance that, Hey, he may be killed, but here you, you hit the nail on the head. It's kind of like John Wick because you know, no matter how many men he's outnumbered by, somehow he's going to be able to get out of it. Yeah. I love it. Their, their FBI SWAT team is having a huddle talking about how they're going to go in through the back door. And he shows up in the huddle and says, well, I wouldn't do that. And then they realize the bad guy they're there to catch is in the huddle with him. And I also love that, you know, he's he beats both rent-a-cop, you know, guards at the door. He beats professional military and uh, police forces. But we also get two characters that are just over-the-top caricatures. They're the ones that made me think about um, a John Wick, you know, how it's going into this new world. I, I'm with you, Joe. I kind of hope that uh, the beekeeper, we get to, you know, a sequel here. So, yeah. And, you know, um, a couple of uh, things also about the film, uh, the, you know, the fact that uh, Jason Statham's character is going after cyber criminals that prey on the elderly, you know, emptying their bank accounts. They're scum. They're they're cocky in the film as well. So you can't wait for Jason Statham to take him out. So that's pretty satisfying. Uh, Josh Hutcherson is this dweeby, spoiled, rich kid CEO who rides around on a skateboard in the office and takes sound baths, doing the whole sound bowl therapy. You can't wait for him to get his butt kicked by Jason Statham. I thought it was funny and, uh, he was to hide his relationship to, you know, who is he? What's the relationship? Yes. And they told yes, him. I don't want to put that part away. Although when we do find out, uh, about his relationship and who he really is. I think at that point, the film jumps the rails, but it doesn't really matter at that point that it goes there because we're already so satisfied with everything that's happened that I think it's real easy to uh, fall in line when that scene unveils itself. Yeah, I, I think we're on the same page here. Uh, good action film. Don't think about this story. Just sit back and enjoy. So It's a fun ride. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to our next picture. Uh, that would be Mean Girls. Do you like gum? Sure. Oh, no, I don't have any. I, I was just... You're a mess. We will help you, Caddy. This is based on the Broadway musical, which is based on the 2004 Tina Fey movie. I think a lot of people don't realize that this is a musical. Those of us who are big Broadway fans, I count myself as a Broadway fan, absolutely knew that this is a musical here. It's the same basic story. A, a young woman, a, you know, a teenager from who grew up in Africa, moves back to America and finds that high school is much like living in the jungles of Africa. So Katie Heron is our, um, our star here. And she's played by an actress, Andre Rice. Um, and she goes in there, she finds there's a click of these mean girls, these bullies kind of that, you know, everybody bows down to, uh, in particularly Regina R uh, George is the bad guy. She's played by Renee Rapp, who most people will probably know from the sex lives of college girls. 
Right. My thing is that she also meets two side characters. And the one is Jaquel Spivey, who's Tony-nominated actor from A Strange Loop. Really hasn't done anything else. And then we have Ali Carvalho, who is, people know as the voice of Moana. And she is the other one. And I found those two characters to be far more interesting in this particular film than the actual main character. Exactly. They are they're the two best reasons to see this film. Although, I got to tell you that Renee Rapp, and I want to get to, I'll, I'll let you know what I think about Renee Rapp. I think Renee Rapp and uh, Cravalho are the two strongest singers in the film. Yeah. The, 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 without a doubt, without a doubt. And so I think this Mean Girls, and it's funny because I spoke to my daughter, who's in her 20s, earlier today, and, and I she asked me what we were going to talk about on the podcast. And I said, Mean Girls. And she says, I kind of want to see it. She had no idea it was a musical. Yeah. So when I told her, well, you know, it's a musical, like you just said, she she had no idea it was a musical. I think this Mean Girls is meaner, it's sexier, it's edgier, than the, and it's more diverse. I think the diversity is really good. But you, like you said, you know, here we are, we're back at uh, North uh, Shore High, uh, the two roles made famous by Lindsay Lohan and Rachel McAdams. Uh, you know, those two uh, actors went into the stratosphere. Uh, and, you know, the film, the original one incorporated the word fetch into the vernacular of movie goers. You know? Yeah, and then wearing pink on Wednesdays. You get all of Mean Girls' greatest hits. Um, the songs in the movie are by Tina Fey's husband, composer Jeff Richmond, and lyricist uh, Nell Benjamin. And also, you know, you said you're a big fan of uh, the Broadway musical. Well, not all of the songs from the musical made oh. it into the film. And I'll tell you right now, the biggest song, my favorite song, Where Do You Belong, from the musical, arguably the big standout production number of the musical, not in this movie. And I don't understand that other than, you know, um, a Broadway musical runs two and a half, three hours. And this one's under two hours. So maybe they cut all these songs to keep it under. But they also had a new songs. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't think any of the music really worked here. Okay. You know, I was going to ask you that because knowing you are such a big Broadway fan, I was going to ask you uh, to break down what you thought of the songs. Because to me, some of the songs are throwaway songs. Yeah, But there are some songs in there that are really good. You know, not all the songs are good. First of all, I want to break down Renee Rapp. Uh, you know, she joined the Broadway musical in its second year as Regina George. And she makes a jump now to the big screen to do the role here um, as, you know, the power hungry uh, queen bee leader of the plastics. Um, I think on a scale of one to 10, Renee Rapp is on 11. And <laughs> I think she is the most distracting part of the new version because it's so different from Rachel McAdams uh, performance. So she's really distracting, but also at the same time, simultaneously, I think she is one of the film's strongest assets. She's too everything. She's too tall. She's too sexy. She's too everything for the role. But the last thing that I guess I thought about that the last thing we need is someone coming in and impersonating Rachel McAdams. So yeah. I think Renee Rapp brings a fresh perspective to the role. And I think Rapp's vocals are one of the strongest in the film. So it kind of gives this new Mean Girls its own identity. It separates it from the original. You can absolutely tell who are the Broadway babies who are the ones that know how to belt out a song, and she is one, and Ani Carvillo is one, and Jacquel Spivey, obviously. I mean, those are the stars. Those are the ones that can emote. 
the the Katie Heron woman, you know, her I want song, which is a musical theater term that where a character stands on stage and explains their motivations they are going to take you through the story. Well, when they do that here, we do give, you know, Katie uh, her her I want song, but she doesn't have the vocal powerhouse. So I don't really believe it. So I'm not invested in what she's doing here. Um, like I said, I think you and I agree too. I just don't think the music was that great, which is a shame because I love Broadway musicals. I also thought, you know, Renee Rapp, I'm with you, great voice, but she's so much taller than the other characters. Yeah. She almost looks like she's in her 30s. All of the characters are in their mid-20s. So they're kind of close enough to high school that we believe them. But she in particular just seemed, you know, a little too grown up compared to the other actors. So You know, when I'm, when you know, you something about Rachel McAdams in the role of Regina George, you know, she was, uh, you know, she was manipulative. She was she did a great job in that role. But there was also part of her that was frail. There was this frailty to her character. You don't get that with Renee Rapp. To me, so when I was watching Renee Rapp, she was almost like a like a vixen on the screen. And uh, and she's she reminded me a lot of singer Pink. Like if let's say Pink was in that role. Oh, she, you know, uh, and, and so uh, that's why I think it was so different. And also the rest of the plastics, you know, Gretchen, which is played by B.B. Wood. Uh, she did the Lacey uh, Chabray role. And then uh, you have uh, Avantika as uh, Karen. You know, I think um, the Gretchen role, B.B. Wood's performance, she has that one song when she gets the music box and she uh, talks about living in the shadow of Regina George. I think her her performance was OK, but that role really wasn't anything in the film. Karen, at least, is funny when she does the sexy song about Halloween. That's a fun moment in the that's film. probably one of the only songs that I thought hit. The yeah. And, and then but also Katie um the katie in this film rice uh you know she's a good actor but she nowhere comes near the uh intensity that lindsey lowen had uh, or the level lindsey lowen and rachel mcadams were perfect rivals here katie i think is one of the weakest links in this film i, I remember thinking okay she looks right and she's a pretty good actress but she doesn't have the vocal chops so i'm not buying this at all so Anyway, yeah, and then, you know, I thought one thing I did like about Mean Girls is that, you know, uh, it's very the diversity is there, you know, um, in the film and, you know, like the plastics, if you look at them, one of them is Latina, the other one is Indian. Yeah. All right. And then uh, also the, the two narrators of the film, which are great in the film, um, they're out of the closet. And uh, and and so, like, I remember in the original Mean Girls Janice, there was like a rumor that she was gay. Well, in this one, she's full out gay. I mean, her she's Pyro Les is her nickname in the film. And she embraces that. And to me, she's the rock star of this movie, man. She is terrific. Yeah, I love those two side characters. So so I guess what we're saying is we like Mean Girls, kind of. Uh, I would tell you, though, if you can see this, I know it's currently touring. It was uh, just in Houston, actually. So um, if you can catch it touring, that it's a better experience on stage. Let me ask you this. Who do you think Mean Girls is being targeted to? Oh, women. Women. By, as a matter of fact, yeah. there was an and attack even... trailer to it of Argyle, which is a film coming out in February that's that's aimed at women. And I noticed they they changed it like this February to this fetch I mean, they were specifically <laughs> changing the graphics 
because they know that women are interested in Argyle and they know that women are there for Mean Girls. Uh, I was the only man in my screening. It was all women. Yeah, but and and me too. But I think specifically more than that, Mean Girls is targeted just at I think high school audiences. If you're really an older adult, and let's say you're a fan of the original movie, uh, this won't play very well with you. But I think if you're uh, your mother's Mean Girls, well, I know they put that out there. But also, I think much of the film's fall lies with uh, the directors. I mean, they're first time directors here. Samantha Jane and Arturo Perez Jr. And I think they may be over their heads directing uh, Mean Girls, you know. Uh, you being a fan of musicals, what happens whenever they, there's a lot of times in this film whenever they burst into song, it feels awkward. It's not a very smooth transition from going from talk into song. It's almost jarring at sometimes. But, you know, uh, like I said, it has its weak points and it has its faults, but uh, as long as you don't judge it on the merit of the original film, it's its own monster. But um, and if you're in your high school drama team, it's the must see of the week. <laughs> yeah, slay, slay, man, slay, girl. You slay when you go see that movie. Okay, you know? very quickly, let's uh, let's move on to the film that I think is easily the best of the bunch this week. And that would be American Fiction. Your books are good, but they're not popular. Editors, they want a black book. They have a black book. I'm black, and it's my book. You know what I mean. So American Fiction is a film that I actually put as number five on my top ten list, and I know you liked it quite a bit as well. It's Jeffrey Wright. He plays a novelist. He's a black man, obviously. And he's tired of his books getting shelved with the African-American studies because he doesn't think he's he's writing racial fiction, you know, uh, racial studies fiction. But he meets another writer, played by Issa Rae, who has written one where she leans into every stereotypical thing for the Black community. I mean, it's all about gangsters and talking and the slang and whatnot. And she's very successful. So he, I think this is a problem, it almost appears like he gets drunk one night and turns out a novel and that doesn't happen in one night. But he writes a novel where he leans into all the stereotypes and finds instant success. And now he's embarrassed by what he's done because he's an academic who doesn't want to lean into this stuff. He's trying to hide his relationship. It's written under a pen name. So he, you know, who is this guy? This He says, well, I'm a gangster, so I can't do uh, interviews because I'm on the run, you know, and stuff. And uh, basically, though, I think it's fascinating because he and his family, and there's a lot of difficult moments in his family. He's got a He's got a sister and a mother and a brother who is also undergoing some financial difficulties and there's some some death in the movie. And it's basically him and his black siblings talking about who they are as African-Americans and their relationship to culture as far as, you know, what they're perceived of as within the culture and what they really think they are. Um, I found it a fascinating performance, particularly by Jeffrey Wright. I thought it was great. Oh, yeah. I thought it was great, too. You know, um, it's a it's a biting satire. And, uh, you know, it's reminiscent of films like uh, Hollywood Shuffle, Bamboozled and CB4. Uh, Cord Jefferson um, did a great job. You know, uh, 
Poor Jefferson, who's a celebrated writer. You know, he did Netflix's Master of None and NBC's The Good Place. And, you know, he did that, uh, won an award for HBO's Watchmen. This is his feature dire directorial debut. And so it's based on Percival Everett's uh, 2001 novel, Erasure. But now if you're a fan of that book, the literary work structure has been altered. And I think it's actually been toned down for uh, American fiction so that the movie... Well, actually, uh, yeah, the film gives audiences, it's more of a warmer familial drama than the book is. It, it's still a biting satire, but it's a bit more warmer and even a little bit more toned down than the book, uh, yeah. for sure. We knew that was happening. This won the uh, the main award at the Telluride Film Festival, excuse me, Toronto Film Festival. And people were saying, really? That's the one that Canadians gravitated to? And then we like, oh, well, they've obviously changed some things, though. That being said, I haven't read the book. So, but I, I found it fascinating. I found it, it's one of those films that made me think, and I really appreciated the acting performances, not just with uh, Jeffrey Wright, but also Sterling K. Brown. I thought playing the brother, he was really good. Um, oh, he's great. Yeah, that was a very good movie. So it's. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Jeffrey Wright's character, Monk, he's pretty much on par with Paul Giamatti's uh, Hunnam in the Holdovers. So those two could be like best friends. Both are cantankerous, uh, cantankerous educators. They have a, this disdain for their students. Like, you know, early on in the film, one of the students complains about she's uncomfortable with he's written the N-word on the blackboard. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's, you know, he tells her, Brittany, I got over it. I'm pretty sure you can too. And then it's funny because then it comes up that he told uh, in another class, he asked a German student if his family had been Nazis. Yeah. And when the administrator said, you can't tell him that, he goes, trust me, by the way, he was squirming, they were, you know. And so Jeffrey Wright is terrific in here. But, you know, he he's this great writer and uh, his books aren't selling. And, and so, you know, the film is really about, you know, stereotypes, uh, like, you know, his, his published, well, actually his agent uh, tells him that your books aren't black enough to be bestsellers, you I'm know, how can that be true? You know? Yeah. And he's like, I'm a black writer. What do you mean? Um, you know, and so they, and they keep his books under African-American literature, even though there's nothing about African-American literature in there, just, he just happens to be a black writer. So that's frustrating. And then when he goes to this, where he's talking to the white literature agents and they are so uncomfortable because they don't know what they can sell say and basically all they want to say is i need a black book to sell and but they can't say that and so he's and he understands that he's kind of egging them on i thought that was very funny yeah and so he goes to this book festival where he runs into best-selling author sinatra golden played by Issa Rae, and she's selling books like crazy for her bestseller, Weez Lives in the Ghetto. And when you, she's well-educated, she's dressed well, she speaks impeccable English, but when she starts reading an excerpt from the book, you know, she she's talking this uh, stereotypical language that people associate with living in ghetto life and, and being a drug dealer and all that. And then, and, and, you know, Monk is flabbergasted by it. So out of frustration and as a joke, he decides to write his own book in, in that vernacular. And it turns out to be a bestseller. And now he's like, what do I do now? Yeah. You know, it, I, I, it's I love really funny. I think it's funny and I think it's thought provoking and I think it has great performances. And that's why I should see it. It's uh, It's been playing in New York and L.A. since December, but it's finally expanding into, uh, you know, mid-sized cities. So you'll, you'll have the chance to go check it out. I thought it was a great film.
I did too. And you know what the thing about it though, the satire is very, very funny. And um the cast, this is a great cast. Sterling K. Brown steals a show on a lot of times. He plays uh, Jeffrey Wright's brother, Monk uh, Cliff, and he's divorced, plastic surgeon, uh, who was caught by his wife having an affair with a man. And now he he does more cocaine than than Scarface does in this movie. And he's just hilarious. But I love how they balance the comedy and the satire with this warm drama about family and his ailing mother who's got, you know, onset dementia and and what the family's having to do with deal with that it's just a really perfectly balanced film and very funny and jeffrey wright is great the entire cast is good so i highly recommend it to everybody yeah we are agreement there so okay so those are the films we're going to talk about this week we do want to mention you know we had golden globes last time we just want people to notice that joe and i are a member of the broadcast film critics association and uh, our vo our awards that we voted on will be on the CW this Sunday. So check out the CCA's, uh, the Critics' Choice Awards, Sunday. I think it's going to be probably it's in prime time on Sunday on the CW. So check your local listings for that. Um, it's going to be interesting because we came out of the Golden Globes and we saw, you know, we saw that um, the two main actresses each got a win. Who's going to win now? Who's going to be your your favorite to be best actress because Golden Globes breaks it up between musical and sure. comedy or a drama and now in the CCAs and we have a very good you know track record as far as predicting the Oscars. So now the Oscar season starts, we will talk a bit a little more about what happened on at the CCAs next week. Uh, next week we'll also talk about the Houston Film Critics Association, a society that we're also members of. And now those awards are coming up here. So a uh, lot to talk about as we move into the awards season, but yeah and uh next week not really a bunch of new films opening up next week yeah um there are two there's there's really only one that i think will be in theaters iss international space station uh ariana debose movie and then we also have um origin ava duvernay's movie that uh, that was pretty good actually so we'll talk it, about it was really good and then also i guess eventually uh we're going to be uh running down some of the films that uh, we cover for this year's Sundance Film Festival, which is getting ready to get underway um, next week. And uh, also, uh, not only Sundance, but there are a few films that I'll be covering also for Slam Dance, which is kind of the offshoot of the Sundance Film Festival that you're very familiar with. Absolutely. So I was in college when Slam Dance started, and they came to me and said, hey, I was at the University of Utah, just down the mountain. They say, we couldn't get a screening venue up in, in uh, Park City. Can we use your theater, that uh, the film front, the University of Utah Student Film Organization? So uh, I hosted the first screenings of Slam Dance. So that's wow, great. that's great. So yeah, you know, it, it, there's so many uh, really interesting documentaries and and premieres that uh, are coming to Sundance and Slam Dance. So I look forward down the road uh, to us covering those films as well. Very cool. Okay, so a lot to talk about, but that's it for this week, Joe. Thanks for chatting with us about the movies. Thanks, Sean. Have a good weekend. Okay, we'll see you all. Happy uh, Martin Luther King Day, everyone. Absolutely.